Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, I'm Scott Soshner. And I'm Evan Novi williams and this is the Duval Sports Business Podcast, The Sportacast. Oh, see, that's just not fair because the way we do this and we're chatting with Tony Khan, I mean, you're wearing so many hats, you know, whether it's all elite wrestling, Jaguars, Fulham. And with the way we do this is Eben does this little intro thing, and then I usually come right back. <laughs> now, Eben chose to really kind of, I think, screw me because he knows <laughs> I'm not like, I'm sorry. I don't think I'm in the demographic that knows the, the wrestling scream. So, Eben, why don't you... That's an NFL scream, the most it's popular NFL I don't know. Scream. I, I knew Are you in the demo of the 90% of America that no. watches NFL? Eben, no, Eben knows. If, Eben knows if it happens on the field, <laughs> I am not your guy. If you want to know about ownership and banking and media and real estate, which is what we focus on, I'm your guy. Like, this, no offense, no offense, but I'm still saying Tony Baselli. <laughs> and Mark Brunel are playing for the Jaguars. Am I wrong? Fred Taylor? Am I wrong? T- t- Tony, am I wrong? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, and I, it is not going to be the first time. Let me tell you this. Let me ask you this though, Tony, because we, we come to you, we're recording. I always say to owners of teams, how you doing? And you know what the response is? I mean, I really just, you know, the response is always, oh, we lost. Oh, we, uh, I can't get my quarterback right. Oh, and then I say, no, 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 no. How are you doing? Is it possible to separate Tony Khan, Jaguars, Fulham, how AEW is doing? Is it possible? Do you set or do you rise and fall with the success or struggles of the teams? Well, I think there's still some. I, I do have some sentient <laughs> being to me. I'm not uh, a completely computer at this point, but. Uh, I, I'm still somewhat human. I do, uh, you know, if you feel not well or tired or whatever, that could be completely independent of how things are going. And think like sometimes uh, you're beat up and things are going great and you feel great even though you're beat up. But for me, yeah, generally I do go as uh, the business goes, whether it's the NFL or 
Fulham in the Premier League or AEW. I, I want to dive into all those things, Tony. I, I am also curious how you split your time. You have teams in London. You have team in Jacksonville, Florida. You have a, a, a global wrestling property. You're an executive with all three of those things. How do you divvy it up? What, what's, and, uh, and Tony, what's Evan, here? by the way, could never, ever work for you. He is a fantastic world-class reporter with one weakness, time zones. <laughs> he cannot add six minus three plus three. I you, he guarantee you he, he will get the time wrong. That's absolutely right. I am the opposite. I work in a lot of different time zones, and I really enjoy it. And I don't watch much besides football and wrestling, but I love wrestling and football. So it's great being kind of caught up in them and having it be the last thing you think about when you fall asleep. And the first thing you're thinking about is one or the other. And for me, it's not, you know, every day is pretty different. I get into different routines. Wrestling is always a big part of my calendar all year because there is no off season in pro wrestling. However, uh, there are days of the week during football season for the NFL or for Fulham in English football where we're doing certain things. And I have kind of a routine based on the football season. So it changes. Uh, there's a lot of preparation in the NFL season. I do a lot of work with analytics and statistics around the games and particularly around the draft. So during the season and around the draft, I'm doing maybe more NFL work at those times than I might be doing in the summer. And in the summer, I'm doing a lot of football work in England on the transfer window, typically. And wrestling is a year-round thing because we have AEW every Wednesday on TBS and every Friday on TNT with AEW Dynamite on TBS and AEW Rampage on TNT. So having wrestling be a part of the calendar year-round, honestly, that uh, comes very natural to me because I've been watching wrestling my whole life year-round. I grew up around college football in Champaign, Illinois, around the University of Illinois. Uh, and it was funny. Um, I, you know, Ron Turner was a coach of the Illini when I was a kid. And I just saw Ron's nephew, Scott. Scott's the offensive coordinator of the Washington Commanders and Norv Turner's son. And so uh, a lot of connections in football and around the game. And now this is my 11th season working in the NFL and going into, I guess, would be my seventh season as the director of football at Fulham, um, which is time has really flown by. Uh, could it be that many? Is it my sixth season? Uh, but uh, it, it is, I guess it, it but uh, I came, I started, I took over the transfers in the summer of 16. And then uh, that was a big change from what we'd been doing and brought in 14 new players. And that became really uh, a huge consistent part of my life that every summer uh, obsessing over uh, the worldwide football transfer market. And that in the summer or around January is something where I'll be in more of a transactional mode, but certainly I'm keeping an eye on players statistics year round. And then it goes from being, you know, making assessments and keeping an active database of players, maintaining it year round. Are you, are you and the franchises that you work with, are they as analytics driven on the business side as you seem to be on the pitch and on the field? Yes. 
Can you please explain to me the kinds of things? What data do you collect? How many people do you have interpreting it? What sort of things have changed in your <clears throat> seven years already with that franchise and more on you, the NFL side? Do you want to talk uh, on the business side or on yes. the football side? Yeah, let me. Let's you talk want to about talk? The Ari, Ari's right around the corner. I'm in the office, no, so I, I don't do. The, I don't run the business side of Fulham or the Jaguars at all. Correct. And but, I don't, and I don't run the football good side of the Jaguars for that matter. I'm but you the, got a good feel. You have a good feel for how how devoted a franchise is. No, I am. I had to get more on that side of it because I think it's important as a football owner in the NFL, and also because they brought me in to the fan engagement and major events committee of the NFL, and I was pretty transparent. That's you guys know. That's what Mark Lamping and his team do, and Ari. And that's not really my side of the business, but but I think because AEW has become such a huge television property and live events property, it was why they asked me to join. They must and- covet. They must covet having somebody a little bit different demo than perhaps used used to having in the uh, in the offices of the NFL in the in those meetings. And by the way, with the kind of property that reaches a, a different demo uh, in in an entertainment space, it seems to me. That if I was an NFL owner, whatever age it might be, I would say, hey, Tony, I want to talk to you about what you're doing over there with AEW. What what is portable to the NFL? What's working that we haven't thought about? Well, I I think it's interesting because during the pandemic, live events, AEW ran live events here in Florida, and we were really a model for how to run a safe live event. And you saw it was a, a number of other teams around the NFL doing similar things eventually. But when the NFL calendar opened in 2020, there were only two teams with fans in the stands, the Jaguars and the Chiefs. And I can attest for the Jaguars and AEW, we did it safely with 25% capacity and fans in pod seating. It's outdoors. We had zero known COVID transmissions through the Jags home calendar and dozens of AEW shows doing it outdoor in pod seating. And so then that ended up being the standard. And then, of course, Tampa hosted the Super Bowl. It is the only time in the 11 Super Bowls I've attended, 11 straight years, that I've actually gone out and sat out in the stands instead of being up in the suites with the owners. And it was a really an amazing experience. And hats off to Tampa for what they did. And I've said that behind closed doors too. I think it was one of the. Do you think? Do you think you're missing out on something? I'm just curious if you think Robert Kraft was a season ticket holder for the Patriots before he bought the team, and that's in the day in the old the old stadium where they had metal benches. And he, I'll, I'll never forget his quote. He was like, "I remember what it was like to have a frozen tush." And, and I and I asked him, "Do you remember your seats?" And he said, "Absolutely. Section this, row this, seat that." And I wrote a column off of that, saying, "You know what?" I think every owner should have to be a season ticket holder for at least a season before they're allowed to own a team. So they well, know. I used to sit outside all the time. You know, I, so I'm not in, missing L- out. in Illinois. It's cold. Yeah, that's right. I've actually attended the coldest game in Jaguars history. It was against the Bears in 2008, and it was beyond freezing. The uh, we can look up the numbers, but the 2008 Jags Bears game was one of the coldest. Uh, football experiences I've ever had. And I've experienced a lot of cold football living in Illinois. I think we need to put Tom Coughlin's chapped face, you know, up on the old, uh, on on the feed along with this one, because that's what I think of. Go ahead. That was a Jack Del Rio game. Tom was in the coach of the New York Giants at that point. Correct. Tony, I grew up as a Jaguars fan. It's it's really the only team. I grew up in North Jersey as a Jaguars fan. um, And it's the only team that I 
kind of still that I still do root for, even though I can attest to that. I can attest to that. And the coldest game I've ever football game I've ever been to was the playoff game in Pittsburgh, whatever that was, two or three years ago when the Jaguars. Oh, it was several years. That was 2017. Yeah, 2017. That so was, yeah, it was the was, uh, 2000. Was what would have been, I guess, uh, January of 2018. Yeah, I remember showing up to that, and all the Pittsburgh Steelers fans were in full body, like snowsuit, like jacket. Like onesies, essentially, and I had a, I had like a snow jacket, snuggies. and I was wearing everybody's three in pairs of pants, and I was like, "Oh, these guys are used to this." And I am. Well, uh, I was I was not. I, that. that was when I was thankful to be sitting inside. And yeah. uh, Tom Coughlin, his face was not red that day because he was sitting with me, and uh, we were warm. Let, let's go back to wrestling for a second, because a lot of our listeners obviously are very familiar with the way that professional team sports operate from a business standpoint. You have home games that you play in your own stadium and away games you play elsewhere and there's tickets and TV, et cetera. Walk us through the, the business of AEW, how you guys think about events, where you hold them, how often you hold them. And, and, and then from a revenue side, ticketing, is it media? Is it sponsorships? Kind of where the money's coming from? Well, it comes from a number of different sources everywhere you just said, and then some. Uh, we do a live show every Wednesday night on TBS at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central, Wednesday night, Dynamite. We've done over 150 episodes now. We've been, been on about three years. Or our three-year anniversary is coming up in a couple of weeks. And it's really uh, it, it's a top show on cable now. And in fact, 15 straight Wednesdays, AEW Dynamite has been in the top two shows on cable so it's a really good consistency. In the majority of those 15 weeks, we've been number one. What else? Uh, What's number two? What are you battling with? I'm just curious. Like, not like Blue Bloods. Real, real Housewives. Housewives. Real, oh, the real. Well, my wife is working against you. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, you know, hey, you could you could balance it out for me. If you could do me a solid and flip the, the other TV, it would help me out a lot. <laughs> and, uh, my focus group of one, my 13-year-old, I'm sure he's all over it. I, yeah, you, that is a demo we are pro, we are hitting really well. So there's a decent chance that your 13-year-old is watching. Yeah, let me ask you this. Because I know why we started Sportico. I saw a white space in the market for sophisticated sports business coverage. What did you see? Because, I mean, you know, that is the elephant in the room. It is WWE. You know what? I, I don't understand. What did you see when you said, you know, there's a white space in the wrestling market. I want to take them on. So you're not a wrestling fan, I gather. Well, I... Well, I back in the I, day you were, Scott. Yeah, back yeah. in the day. I, and you'll love, you'll love this. I, I watched a little Lucha Libre, you know, with the, with the mask guys, right? So, yeah. yeah, I like that. And a vivid memory of mine, Tony, Stony Brook University, I don't remember what year, but I remember it was at Stony Brook University, and I was standing right up against the rail. I mean, maybe I'm like six, seven, eight, whatever it was. And do you remember Big John Stud? Yeah, sure. Big John Stud is in his angry thing, right? And he walks right in front of me. I was terrified. I thought he was going to pick me up and eat me. Like I'm, I'm that I was absolutely terrified. So I have brought my son to Madison Square Garden to see some wrestling. Get him, the, I bought him a mask, and of course, for the next week, he beat the bejesus out of me. So that that's good. There you go. Well, what well, that, do, you, uh, do you have plans uh, next Wednesday? Uh, oh, he doesn't listen to the show, Eben. This is youth hockey season. I don't have a life. I do work, and I'm in hockey rinks until March. Talk to me in March. Between March and September, and I'm allowed to have a life. Other, well, other reason, than that, I, okay, because we're in New York City next week. That's what I was going to ask. Because we're at Arthur Ashe Stadium. Yeah. Would love to have you guys, but obviously I, I didn't realize uh, you're occupied. So what I saw in the uh, in the space, and you as a wrestling fan, both of both you guys would be able to understand this. For a long time, there was a company called WCW, 
that had shows on TBS and on TNT. And there's a long, rich history of the Turner Network showing pro wrestling. We're actually in the middle of the celebrating 50 years of pro wrestling on TBS. Uh, not straight through, but pro wrestling started on TBS 50 years ago. And it's been something that I believe fans associate a second national wrestling brand, a second international wrestling brand with those channels, TBS and TNT. And they were out of showing pro wrestling and there was no wrestling company that was really competitive in the market as far as salaries and TV exposure. And while it's difficult to compete with one of the largest and most recognizable sporting brands, I think in just the past few years, we've carved out a great space for ourselves and built a consistent ratings winner. And now we've launched a second TV show on Fridays. Like I said, we've had this amazing consistency on Wednesdays. And we've also had a lot of recent success, not just the uh, 18 to 49 demo, but overall viewership. So the 18 to 49, like I said, it's 15 straight weeks in the top two shows on cable on Wednesdays, which is the longest streak in our three-year history. Also in the P2 overall viewership, three straight weeks, over a million viewers. And it's the first time we've had that in about a year since going back to September to October of last year. So in over 11 months, and so it's great to have uh, viewership and, and be in one of our hottest periods and going into such a major show, Arthur Ashe Grand Slam, next week. And you're in the middle of a, of a four-year TV deal with the, with the Warner Brothers Discovery. How important is, is that, I assume you're maybe starting at some point soon, maybe, talking about whatever's next? I've heard from a number of people that, that, that have launched the, the startup leagues that the second TV deal is always a big one. It's this it, is my third sends, TV deal. I'm actually one. on okay. my second TV. There you deal. go. So, how important is the one coming up right now in terms of the growth that you're talking about here, that the numbers you're showing, and what it means? Because for a lot of these properties, right, the, the media is the biggest the biggest revenue driver, and I don't know if that's true for you, but it's yeah. certainly a big one for, for for most properties. Yeah, absolutely. Live events is a huge revenue driver. Merchandising is a huge revenue driver. We have big sponsorships now. DraftKings has come in and been an amazing sponsor for AEW this year. Also. What we have, like you said, media rights is a big part of it. Pay-per-view is a big part of it. We've been selling pay-per-views, working with Bleach Report, in-demand pay-per-view providers internationally on Fight TV streaming. And our TV deals are, I think, the biggest individual revenue driver. And for us, we've got this great partnership with Warner Brothers Discovery. And we've got the rest of this year and next year. And and they have, uh, you know, uh, really been so good to us. And I feel like not only was the original leadership so great to take a chance on an unknown company, but then, you know, post-merger, the discovery leadership that's come in has been so supportive. And we're getting opportunities now with the new management even bigger than we've ever gotten before. How did and, that merger change your relationship there? I mean, what what was different for you guys with, with the new leadership? New faces, new people that are, and they're great people. Uh, and we've had different management teams over the last few years. And this is a new group. And obviously they have different experiences than the previous management. They have di different insights and a different portfolio of IP coming in, but also new IP being created by the new property and existing IP that we've never really been associated with before. So just in the few months that we've been working together, it's been great getting to know them and work with them. And they've given us opportunities for integrations. And I hope 
that we've done a good job. They've, you know, I think the fact that we're getting more of them and that they've been so positive about the job we've done, I guess it, it went really well. You know, Shark Week is the longest running, most successful weekly TV event in the history of cable. And it is very important to the people at Discovery. I've seen it firsthand and it makes total sense. They're very proud of it as they should be. And it's awesome. You know, and, the business behind that Shark Week, right? What, what do network t- TV executives say when, when you need something to sell? You know, either have something, eat something or have it be eaten. And, and, and so, you know, it, it's just sort of metaphorical for, you know, give them something like that. And people, it, people want to be entertained. And so certainly I'm, I'm a Shark Week viewer. If I go by and I see the Great Whites on, I stop. That's, uh, there's a huge viewership for it. And so they gave us the opportunities to promote Shark Week in AEW and develop creative with of our own to help further the promotion of Shark Week. And then based on the success of that, they came right back to us with a huge opportunity. You know, we've been working with Warner Media before Warner Brothers Discovery for years, and never had we had opportunities to do integrations with HBO, let alone with the number one show on TV right now with House of the Dragon, and to have the opportunity to promote House of the Dragon and and for them to ask me if I can come up with a way to integrate it into our show. And then not only do we do that, but I believe, and a lot of our fans believe, and you can look at the the ratings, like the IMDb of pro wrestling, cagematch.net, it's considered one of the best wrestling events of all time, is the House of the Dragon episode we did just several weeks ago for them. Uh, like, if I can switch one second to football as in pitch, I'm just curious, uh, relegation. I, I don't think American sports fans really have a good hold on what that means for ownership, for your mental health, for values, valuation of franchises, for what can happen. How do you, I mean, you're like Fulham safely mid-table right about, right? You know, but what's the stress uh, level? When, I mean, it's a very, very difficult, challenging season. I mean, it's very early. Um, we're in a good position right now. We've had a great start to the season, but it's really important for us to stay up. And uh, obviously the relegation is something a lot of American sports fans may not be as familiar with. It is really hard on a club and very hard on the, the staff of the club and very hard on the fans. Fans, every, yep. Everybody around the club. And then you have to work really hard to get back. And we've been fortunate to do that. We have a great, we have a great squad. We have a great coach and we work really hard. And I think uh, hopefully we, this will be the year we stay up and, and hopefully could stay up for a long time. It is early in the season. What if I, I know this is never going to happen. I understand that. What would implementation of relegation in the National Football League mean for valuations of franchises? If you could go down to a second league, if you you had a third arm growing out of your face, would you be able to do more work? Absolutely. (laughs) I could type type much quicker. Why would we we spend time talking about that? Tony, how how does the approach player wise compare when the Jaguars are not spending that much different than every team in the NFL every year? Fulham is obviously competing with teams that are spending so much more on player talent than Fulham is pl- is spending. How do you think about kind of the dynamics and how different they are when you're thinking about player evaluation, for example, in those two leagues when the pricing structure and the, and the pricing setup is so, so fundamentally different? Well, it's very different. And it, it's, you know, it really is like kind of almost an apples and oranges difference example because they are both football, but the approaches to recruitment are completely different. And the draft is something that we don't have in England and being able to acquire talent from the draft. And then not only from the draft, but the pool of undrafted free agents, which is one of the things I really enjoy doing 
and is kind of the highlight of my NFL yearly work schedule uh, is right when the draft ends, being able to try and scoop up the best undrafted players. And we have a few players with the club right now that are active players. James Robinson is a running back out of Illinois State. Trey Herndon, uh, a corner out of Vanderbilt that have been with us for several years each. That, and a lot of, there's a lot of other players that I've called up at the end of the draft that have had really good careers. Um, I really enjoy that part of it. And it's a completely different recruitment pattern with free agency and the draft in the NFL versus the transfer market in European football and worldwide football. And you're not just looking at the pool of players coming out of college football and the NFL free agent pool, and maybe some occasionally like the best players out of Canada or the XFL or the USFL, but you're really looking at, at a pool of thousands of players all over the world in you know, dozens and dozens of teams across all these different leagues. And it's a very different recruitment. And it's very cutthroat and competitive. And really in the NFL, it's a much more friendly environment. You know, the owners, we have annual meetings. Uh, we've developed the business together. The NFL is in many ways a very efficient media property because the teams work together to brand the league to grow the league and build the business. And it's very different in the Premier League because every year the meetings change every single year. Three people leave and three new people come in without fail. And also it's very cutthroat and competitive for those spots. And not only for those spots staying in the league, but for the spots at the top in the Champions League, the Europe, Europa League, and of course uh, any other uh, different type of competition that may come up. And, and of course the cup competitions are important. So there's a lot to focus on and it's a very cutthroat business in a very different way. And it feels very different how the teams interact with each other than in the NFL, honestly. We'll get you out of, uh, out of here on this, Tony. What do you foresee for the very popular out of market uh, package of games that we're used to seeing on direct TV that is out to market for you guys. Uh, sure to bring some nice dollars uh, and maybe a new direction in streaming as well. Well, I am not the person to ask about that. Uh, while I am in the meetings, uh, those are confidential and I would leave it to Roger and Brian Rolap and the great people there uh, because I think they do a tremendous job and NFL media rights continue to rise. And on linear television, we've seen that there is no property that can compete with the NFL for viewership consistency or volume of viewership. And that's why every year, you know, 21, 22 out of the top 25 shows, sometimes 24, 25 out of the top 25 shows will be NFL football games. And uh, out of the top 180 to 90 will be NFL games. Evan, I can't wait for AEW and Housewives to sneak in there. Well, it's, you know, that's cable and it's a different universe. And on in the cable universe right now, it's changing. It's it's not the cable I came into three years ago and everyone was saying then cable had had changed a lot, but it's a very competitive space. Obviously, NFL is the king of that space and pro wrestling right now is having a hell of a year. And AEW is a big part of that story. Uh, when you look at cable winners this year, pro wrestling ha has been really strong. NFL has been really strong. And it's interesting, Premier League following as the NFL. Premier League grows in the American market and then capturing young demos with the games on NBC and on cable on USA. But hey, I stuck with the bundle. Tony Khan, All Elite Wrestling, Fulham, Jacksonville. Hey, let's wait. Let's settle the debate. 
Jaguars, Jaguars. Oh, God. I mean, it, it, I think it's <laughs> ja- Jaguars. <laughs> I can't stand Jaguars, but people say it. I can't stand it. Well, people say nuclear, too. But uh, it's like, uh, you know, you know, I mean, that's not that's not actually the right way to say it. But it's it's nuclear. But it doesn't stop people from saying nuclear. So I think it's like one of those things. I'll add supposedly. But anyway, all right, Tony Khan, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Hey, thank you, guys. Busy dude, huh? Evan, Tony Khan. I mean, he's got a lot going on. I love when we can talk multiple things because we talk about sports teams as platform companies now. So it should not be surprised that you know, you're involved in many entities, not just one team. You've got Jaguars. You've got Fulham. You've got AEW. Fascinating. You and I both love the fact that sort of your discovery world looking to promote IP across all of its properties, I mean, which makes perfect sense. Why would you not? But even ones that don't seem to make sense in your head or that you wouldn't know how you'd piece them together, that they managed to try and do it. That's right. And, and Tony's also, uh, he runs True Media as well, which works with teams all over uh, all over the major uh, major U.S. and international leagues. You're right, Scott. The, 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 the Shark Week stuff stuck out to me, especially after last week we talked about, or earlier this week, we, we talked about um, Bob Chapek and, and Disney and the way in which ESPN and Disney can work together more harmoniously. I think Tony laid out exactly the way in which uh, a network's or a big media company's sports properties can utilize IP from other parts of its of its ecosystem and, and, and the same vice versa. So a smart thing for AEW, a smart thing for, for Warner Discovery as well to, to just try to figure out other ways, other touch points for, for big things like this Game of Thrones season or big things like Shark Week to utilize that in other parts of the portfolio. All right. Let's talk about other big story of the week, which, uh, you know, not, not the best uh, of stories for the NBA, but the Robert Sarver investigation has been completed. Uh, we got the results. Uh, Bob Sarver has been suspended from all activity from his NBA and WNBA teams for one year, is fine $10 million, a host of other things, but uh, not, a, not a sunny day for the NBA when the uh, investigation comes out and uncovers a whole bunch of stuff and a terrible workplace environment, hostile to women, abusive language, abusive behavior, um, racial epithet used on multiple occasions, I'm still wondering, do the players themselves, uh, and Chris Paul is on that team. He was on the Clippers when the Donald Sterling affair went on. Do the players themselves force some more action, or are they okay with the punishment that Adam Silver, the commissioner, doled out? You were at Adam's press conference, and I've known Adam a very long time. I mean, I'm talking almost three decades now. Uh, as sort of an NBA entertainment person, then moving up the corporate ladder and deputy commissioner and ultimately commissioner, he looked very uncomfortable. He was he was not happy. And Howard Beck pressed him on one issue of, you know, I don't get this, Adam. If anybody at Olympic Tower did this, or even a fraction of this, you're fired. Anybody works for a team does this, you're fired. Why is there a different set of rules for an NBA owner? You were there. Give me a sense of uh, your feeling of what you heard and saw. Adam has to 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 walk this delicate tightrope, and we've seen in some ways we've seen Roger Goodell do do similar things in the past few years 
where he obviously has to make it very clear that that the behavior of an owner, in this case, Robert Sarver of the Suns, is, is extremely unacceptable and something that the league will not tolerate and is willing to be fairly harsh with in punishing, but also not make it clear that it's a big enough problem that it, that it forces the, the the leagues to take the fairly drastic step of, of, of forcing them to to sell the team uh, it, all these processes work this way but it's always hard i think scott when you adam got the report back that, that he said there was some things that are not in the report that people wanted to be confidential that he is also aware of then has to decide on this punishment and then after deciding on the punishment has to see players react has to see fans react there's an overwhelming amount of people scott who seem to think that this is nowhere near enough punishment for Sarver, $10 million fine. That's the maximum that, that Adam can give a one year suspension. He can give suspensions way bigger than that. He decided on a year and I I'm with you. I think the, the, the most interesting thing now here is what is the reaction of the players to a degree? What is the reaction of the fans? But yeah, are, have we seen the end of the Robert Sarver saga? I, I definitely don't think we do. Uh, and one thing that I it, it didn't get brought up in the press conference, but the, the, the Suns essentially, when, when ESPN reported a, a very small amount of, of similar allegations a year ago, the Suns vociferously denied uh, th- that any of that stuff had happened. They said that they had done part of their own investigation. They had not found any, found the, the accusations baseless. Uh, it seems like the, 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 the there's either an apology or an explanation needed in that regard as well. There's a ton in here that is obviously unacceptable. It's, it's pretty disgusting when you, when you read it all. And some of those things, Scott, a lot of it was interactions that Robert had with the, the people, men, women that, that worked at the team, a lot of them also involved players and, and comments that Robert made about players, about their significant others, about the sex lives of of his players. Uh, I think there's a lot in here that that particularly hits players in, in, in a way that might produce some kind of reaction. So so very curious to see what the what the end game looks like here as as we get back into NBA action. Here's my problem with crime and punishment, not just specific to the NBA, although this one happened to be the NBA. I understand once you do something wrong, you get punished, sort of, you serve your sentence and you move on, right? That's fine. Um, But the NBA years ago had an instance where Glenn Taylor, the former owner of the Minnesota Timberwolves, uh, perpetrated what David Stern referred to as the widest ranging fraud in hmm. league history. He promised a contract to Joe Smith. It came Sound out like as... Circumvention. Yeah, it, it was a circumvention of the cab. Absolutely correct. And it wasn't just sort of a, a verbal promise. I mean, this was down on paper and it came out in exhibit in a separate lawsuit. So, dead to rights, there it is. You know, NBA punished him. Out came the statement, the widest ranging fraud. Okay. Well, subsequent to that, Glenn Taylor was elected, was elected chairman of the Board of Governors. Well, I, I mean, I just don't understand how do those two things coincide? How can an owner... I don't care when, but at any point in his tenure, commit the widest ranging fraud in the history of the league. And and then subsequent to that, be honored with the position of the chairman of the board of governors. That just doesn't make sense to me. So there's always been a disconnect for me in crime and punishment. And for those who are who are wondering and any listeners, well, why don't they just take the way take away the team like they did for Donald Sterling? You know, why don't they take the team and they force them to sell it? Be just be aware that the Donald Sterling affair also involved competency, where the family trust was invoked and two independent doctors said that Donald Sterling was not of mind. That allowed his wife, Shelly, to take control of the team and ultimately sell it. So there was more involved there than just sort of bad behavior by an owner. We do not have anything like that here. Different situation. 
I also think it's worth mentioning that I think for a lot of owners, and this is probably true in the NFL, probably true in the NBA as well, there's people that are wary of uh, what what maybe has existed in their organizations. Well, in the, in the well, Evan, you and I have talked about this before. Well. You and I have talked yeah. about this before. Any NBA owner or CEO at this point that has not privately commissioned an independent investigation mm-hmm. into his own house to see what it uncovers is out of his or her mind. It goes to that whole lawyer thing. Don't ask the question that you don't know an answer to. You better know where the skeletons are, what they are, preemptively get rid of people. And if it's your own closet, then I could see why you're like, well, I think the fine and the suspension's good enough because you just don't know when the knock on the door is coming for you. That's it. That's exactly right. And I think there is a, a way to look at both what's happening in, in the NFL right now in Washington and, and what's happening in the NBA right now in Phoenix and think that that there may be a lot of owners who are worried that that if they draw a hard line on on behavior that's come out in both of those in both of those front offices, that down the line it, it could be their their team or someone else's team. And and so it, it does feel as though there's at least a, a part of that happening here as well. And by the way, I am totally cognizant of the fact that I said commissioned an independent investigation. Like if they're paying for it, it's not, I I got it. What I should have said is just done an event, had it, had an investigation done on their own franchise and tell employees it's anonymous, whatever you want, but speak freely. None of it's getting back to me. The, that I, that this, this information will never get back to me. I don't know if anybody believe you, but anyway, at least you would have done your best. He is Eben Novi Williams on the Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. I am Scott Soshnick on Twitter at Soshnick. Matt Whitehurst is our producer. Thank you very much, Matt. Digital media editor, Cora Veltman. She loves it when I remind you that the show can be found at Sportacast, which is the hub of what will soon become the Sportacast Media Network.